A common thread I've discovered through interviewing so many social entrepreneurs is that they worked in a particular field that isn't inherently socially conscious, and they discovered a problem or an issue, and they realized something had to be done to change it or make it better. They weren't just going to sit back and say, oh, that's a terrible problem. Somebody should really do that. So more often than not, they left that job or they started a side hustle to be a part of the solution. My guest today did just that. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, a nonprofit director, a community leader, or just an amazing person who's trying to make a positive impact not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Mary Sue Papali, the founder of Ashbury Skies. Mary's upbringing and career background have greatly influenced the way she runs her business today, and she has now developed a brand new shoe called the Bendy Shoe. It's an athleisure shoe that is adorable, but it is completely ethical from start to finish. All the materials, the people that make the shoes, everything from start to finish, it's completely ethical. She shares all about her story today, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. So without further ado, on to my chat with Mary Sue. Hey, Mary Sue. Welcome to the show. Hi, Molly. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for taking your time out of your day to be with me here today. Um, I am so excited just to hear all about you and your new ventures and your project and to hear your story and all those things. So we're going to just dive right in. And that is to have you, Mary Sue, give us the Mary Sue 101. Tell us your story and how you got to where you are today. Oh, sure. Sure. So let's see. Um, I guess we can start um, way back because this is an important part of my upbringing. I grew up in the Midwest and um, I lived there my whole life, went to college there and I wanted to uh, try something different and I always wanted to, um, I dreamed about, you know, living someplace else and never could really see myself settling there. So I packed up my car and I moved to San Francisco and I've been here ever since. Oh, wow. And when I got here, I really, I was in the mode where I wanted to figure out what I want to do with my life. And I'm like, I'm passionate about passion. I need to do whatever it takes to, to, uh, live out my passion and figure out my life. So my first job in fashion was with a spree and, um, I've been in fashion ever since. <laughs> so, it's been an interesting journey. I started, when I started with this free, I started as a temp because that's the only job I could get. And I ended up as a vice president there. So I definitely found my passion. Um, interestingly, I was um, really, this was in the 80s. And, um, you know, at that point, there was a lot of fashion and I ended up in production. So I ended up in the manufacturing side of the business. So I was traveling all over the world and in charge of um, the manufacturing of goods. And I learned so much and it was an amazing ride. Um, And that led to other jobs in fashion where I ended up more in the buying side as well. And then after many years of that, I decided that I was I was really getting burnt out. Um, it was just the intensity and in retrospect, there was a lot of, you know, I was contributing to, I was a cog in the wheel for fast fashion is what I was. Um, and I started sort of recognizing that and I didn't feel right. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do about it because back then no one was really acknowledging that that was a bad thing. But I saw a lot of things along the way. 
And um, then I was, uh, later in my career, I worked for a large multi-chain retailer and I was in buying. And I also saw a lot of, you know, every, every year we would want to produce more and figure out how to get people to buy more. And I knew that wasn't sustainable either. Yeah. So... This was back in 2011. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So I have to ask just quickly, um, when you said that, you know, you were traveling and you knew that this was, um, you were working in, you were in charge of manufacturing goods and then you were on the buying side and you said that you saw a lot of things. For people that maybe aren't familiar, maybe they're they're new to this concept, can you kind of explain a little bit of what are some of the things that you saw and experienced that you you were just like, this is there's something wrong with this. Well, I have to say, um, at the time it was hard to really put my hands around, but in retrospect, cause I did participate in it for years, but in retrospect, it's, I see it a little bit more clearly, but yeah. there's one story that sticks out that is very painful to recollect. Mm. And it was an egregious environmental violation mm. that I witnessed on one of my first sourcing trips to China. Mm. Um, and this was my first job in fashion. I was traveling to Asia every three to four months on business trips as a production manager. We were in Guangzhou, China, and we were visiting a tannery that was making kid skin leather. And the way it worked is after our stamp of approval, we would then, it would then be sent to a local factory. Um, and, you know, and then it would be produced into sandals in that case, because yeah. obviously I'm in the shoe business. So what happened was when we got there, uh, we met the tannery guy and the shoes weren't ready or the, the skins weren't ready. So there was a little song and dance, went back and forth about when they were going to be ready and if he was going to be able to deliver them. And um, he then took us on a, he said we needed a few more weeks. And so he took us on a tour and we and he wanted to show this that the skins were actually done. He led us into the back of a building uh, where there was a large window through which I saw a small pond. Um, something immediately felt wrong, and I noticed that the pond was purple. Mm. So this guy had absolutely no health or safety procedures to protect the workers or the environment, and he was dumping these waste into a pond behind the building. Um, so this, I didn't really, and the, my, the guy that I was work with and the tannery owner sat there and laughed about it, and they said tomorrow it would be pink. So I later came to realize that this was not the only colorful pond, you know, in southern China. And these yeah. kind of practices and the disregard for the environment were going strong. Mm. So it's these type of things that have been happening <laughs> for the last 30 years. And I'd like to say that this stuff doesn't happen anymore. But it actually I can't say that, you know, with yeah. I can't say that for sure. Yeah, yeah. So you then moved into, you know, you're you're getting later into, you know, into 2011, and 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 you're really starting to see that there are some things that need to be changed. And so, what happened from there? Well, I think I said that I don't want to do. I mean, I didn't want to be a part of this. Yeah. You know, some days I would think I'm like, what can I do to make up for this, and what can I do to educate people, or what, you know, what could I do? And I really didn't know what to do. I just sort of had a sort of had a sinking spell. Um, about the current work that I was doing. And then when I was in buying and then I was clearly, you know, just fr- trying to get people to buy more and more and more, that was the other side of it. I, I, you know, I saw long ago that this was not sustainable. And so it's not surprising that, you know, the situation that we're in right now. Um, so I decided in 2011 to just step aside 
I mean, I didn't have any grand plan, but I knew that I, didn't, I couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> so I did step aside, and I created Ashbury Skies, which is a, a small uh, online shoe store for independent shoe designers. Most of our stuff was made to order, so uh, it wasn't, you know, the same in the sense that we were, you know, producing mass quantities and getting people to buy more and more and more. And I loved it. I also wanted to take advantage of, you know, the the opportunities in e-commerce and how the world was changing. And then a small business with a beautiful site could actually compete with a larger site if we had good customer service and we photographed things beautifully and we could tell stories. So I did that in 2011 and it's been, you know, it's been very rewarding. I work very hard, but it's, you know, my, um, it's, it's, I have a partner of that Turner who we work very hard and uh, we've created a, you know, a beautiful online shoe store. Yeah. Um, so that's what I sort of segued in and our business is growing every year and, um, you know, we're very, you know, it's very hands-on. We're very passionate about it. Um, then recently in the last year, you know, when I would go to shoe shows and, and look for, you know, designs that I thought were within our DNA of our site, I never could, there was nobody that was offering anything, um, you know, no ethical fashion. Yeah. I mean, there was none in the shoe industry. I mean, there's a few that are doing like direct to consumer right now, but there was no one doing that. And quite frankly, it isn't easy to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Yes. It isn't easy to do, especially with the way the current, you know, the way the manufacturing works. So I was thinking about it. I mean, I, I just kept thinking, like, how it's got to, there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. What I have learned in business is, like, if it's easy, I mean, a lot of people can do it. So if you, gotta, if you really want to create something unique, it's usually very hard to do. Mm-hmm. So I thought about it, and I'm like, well, I knew that there was some manufacturing done in America now in shoes. You know, there was, I mean, I was in sourcing, so I had a, you know, my, I knew, I knew that that was happening and I thought, gosh, I wonder if I could find a great looking shoe that was, you know, comfortable, flexible, you know, um, and could be made in Los Angeles or made in the U S and I knew that I knew some people in Los Angeles making shoes. So I came up with a shoe and, um, in the last year I've been working very hard about on it and we are now, uh, will soon be coming to market with, uh, the Bendy. And that is a shoe, a modern comfort shoe with a low environmental footprint, entirely handcrafted in Los Angeles. It's so incredible. I did it. Yes. <laughs> I'm at the beginning stages, but I am, I am doing it and it, and it feels, um, I wouldn't say I'm at the beginning stages. I'm well, well on my way, but, um, it is something that, um, you know, I am, I am doing and all, it feels as though it's, it's all coming together and I'm getting a great response on the product right now. Yeah. Before we get too deep into that, because I want to hear all about that, um, you mentioned at the beginning that part of your 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 childhood and growing up in the Midwest has really impacted you as a person today and your view on um, on you know how you run your business and all those kinds of things. Um, can you share a little bit more about that and what was it about your childhood and growing up in the Midwest and um, that has really kind of shaped who you are as a woman and as a entrepreneur today? Well, it's interesting because, um, I, I, when I moved here, I ended up marrying uh, a guy from San Francisco and we have a teenager now. Um, and 
you sort of see the way he's a very ethical person, but we look at things very differently. Mm -hmm. And here's one observation I had. When you grow up in the Midwest, you grow up trusting everybody. Mm. And then you trust people until they prove to you that they can't be trusted. Right. And when you grow up in an urban environment, it's different. Yeah. You grow up not trusting anybody until they prove to you they can be trusted. Mm. So that is a big uh, difference. And, you know, it's and I feel like that is one thing that I've um, I've learned about living in both both places. Yeah. Um, so and I think that, you know, it's great because I we were back in. So my son's in high school and he went on a service trip recently um, to uh, Appalachia and to help build houses. So I dropped him off in Ames, Iowa about three weeks or three or four weeks ago to meet with a group of kids and adults who were then caravanning in two vans down there. And when we got there to drop him off, I didn't have, apparently I, I didn't read it properly. Apparently I needed to have his medical form um, notarized. And so it was like Saturday night. They were, we were packing up a car. They were leaving the next morning. We didn't have it notarized. So everybody on the trip, well, it's, you know, how do you get a notary at seven o'clock on a Saturday night when you're leaving the next Monday or the next morning? Um, within uh, 30 minutes, people were on their phones talking to friends and how do, how do we get this done? One man then got his daughter to drive a whole hour to his house where we met up and we got the thing notarized. And my son, we were, he invited us to our house. We'd never met him before, served us iced tea. And my, when we walked, when we drove away, my son said, people are really nice here, Mom. This would never happen in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you are so right. This yeah. would never happen in San Francisco. Yeah. We got the thing notarized and off he went. <laughs> wow. I know you're loving this chat with Mary Sue, and I wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor of the show who was able to help make it possible, and that's CauseBox. As you know, CauseBox is one of my favorite ethical subscription boxes, and I have been a subscriber for over two and a half years. How it works is each season, a new box is filled with everything from accessories, home goods, and jewelry to the best in skincare and wellness products that are not only amazing, but they're also doing the most good. The products are not just beautiful, they're also useful. The fall box is coming out soon, and it is already amazing. They've been posting spoilers on social media and I am so excited. Now, like the summer box, I know this fall box is going to sell out fast, like really fast. I got some insider information and it's like almost sold out. So you need to hurry, hurry, hurry if you want to get your hands on it. So go to stillbeingmolly.com slash cause box. That's stillbeingmolly.com slash cause box and use the coupon code Molly for $15 off to reserve that fall box. Now, back to my conversation with Mary Sue. Where did you get the idea for the Bendy? You know what? It wasn't as though this came about just that I thought it was a good idea. I mean, I wanted to do something like this, but there was some business behind it. Mm -hmm. I did a business plan, and I wanted to make sure that whatever I put out there had legitimacy uh, about it behind, you know, the numbers and yeah. the category. So one thing that one of the few things working in in footwear right now is the athleisure category. So yeah. I knew the item had to be something in athleisure. Um, and then that is where I there, where I started from. Then I went like, okay, people need something that's comfortable and 
in fact, modern comfort shoe was sort of something that I was going for. That is something that, you know, solves the problem. You know, people want to look good, but they don't want to look frumpy. So that is the basis that I started with when I designed, uh, when we designed the Bendy. Yeah. And one of the things that is incredible is that you have really brought in kind of a different, a couple of different aspects of sort of the whole ethical space in not only just the manufacturing piece, but also the environmental impact. Um, talk a little bit about that, about why both of those things were important to you. Because um, a lot of companies, not that it's bad or the other, you know, but it, it is, as you said, it's very difficult to do this. Um and for some companies, you know, they might be a people first company and they want to make sure that the people, you know, manufacturing their goods are paid, um, paid fairly, um, that they're, you know, n- there's no slave labor, no child labor, all those kinds of things. And so that's the main thing that they focus on. And then sort of the inner environmental piece comes second for them. Um, and then there are some companies that are really focused more on the environmental side of things and want, you know, using sustainable materials and those kinds of things. How were you really focused on sort of both aspects of this, of making sure that the people and the environment were treated fairly and, and you know, the manufacturing was done well and then this carbon footprint was, was low, all that kind of thing. How did you bring all those things into the creation of this shoe and this product? Well, it started because we wa- well, we wanted to be authentic and we wanted to be real. We didn't want to put a product out there and say it was something that it wasn't. Yeah. So really it started from just looking at all angles to figure out how we could do that and if we could do that. And I knew that if we made it in California ethically that, that w- it would have um, a leg up over any other China-made shoe. And first of all, when you – when you're making goods in in California and you're working with responsible factories, you know, you have, you know, the U.S. has national, state, local laws in place that regulate how workers are treated, minimum wages, overtime, safety, all these laws that regulate waste processing, the use of chemicals. So that right there was going to make it better than a China-made shoe. So I knew that that was important. So that was actually the number one thing. And then second of all, we made the shoe. I mean, I'm not going to make it sound like it's so easy to make shoes in the U.S. I mean, you can find places to make them, but labor is significantly better, higher. This is why people don't make shoes here. So we designed the shoe that was very simple. It has only four components and it's very easy to make. Um, It's high quality, responsibly sourced leather. And then it's just hand stitched. So there's very few steps in making it. So we were able to uh, save in labor. In a way. I mean, there's less labor in this shoe than it would be in a typical sneaker. Yeah. A typical sneaker would have 30 components. Ours only has four. So it's simpler to make and therefore we could make it in the U.S. So there's that was part of it too. And then we just looked at every component along the way to make sure that it was most, uh, you know, responsibly sourced that we could find. Um, and there's certain things that aren't perfect about it because we still are bottom. There's nobody making bottoms in the U S anymore. So we couldn't, you know, we, we are still importing the bottom. Um, but you know, we're not going to, you know, mislead anybody and says it ha- that our shoe has zero impact. I mean, going barefoot is zero impact. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to happen, but we do have a simple construction of responsibly sourced materials made by some shoemakers in downtown Los Angeles. 
Um, this allows for less transportation, fair wages, um, and we're keeping it right in our backyard. So yeah. these are the components that feel very right to us. And this is why we can, uh, you know, we can stand and honestly and ethically say that this shoe is kinder and gentler on the planet. Yeah, that's awesome. When did you launch the shoe and what are what are sort of like the the plans for it? You know, as you know, I know things are still in the early stages. You are selling them. Um, people can find them. I'll, obviously, I'll have the link to where people can see them. They're adorable. They're great. Uh, just really, they look, I mean, I think very much like you said, sort of the <laughs> modern comfort shoe, athleisure, the silver ones I have my eye on right now. <laughs> um, what is sort of like the next thing for you guys? Well, my goal would be to make the bendy continue to grow the bendy. I mean, we see this as, so one of the, I'll step back a little bit, is that as when we built Ashbury Skies, and we're, you know, we grew the business every year, um, and things were going well, but we realized that we really wanted to have something proprietary, so that we would be the only one selling. Um, so we wanted to, we, I anticipate, I would love to have the bendy, you know, grow and be an important brand. And uh, we are trying to redefine eco-fashion. We are trying to start a revolution, rethinking fast fashion. And I would love to be able to use the bendy to have that conversation with young women so they might be able to rethink their consumption and educate them on why this product is better. Um, you know, I mentioned recently, I was in the Midwest recently, and, you know, there isn't a lot of, where I was, there wasn't a lot of awareness of what fast fashion is doing to the planet. Mm-hmm. I mean, where I live, it's an important topic. And in my world, in San Francisco, people are talking about that. But when I do go other places, um, I felt like that isn't, you know, as on people's radar as much. And if I can use the Bendy to have this conversation and to get women uh, talking about it, then that would be my goal. And to, again, try to reduce emissions or emissions so we can, you know, we can um, we can have a kinder and gentler planet, you know. And fashion can, uh, there can be an awareness of what fast fashion is doing to the planet. Yeah. And that conversation needs to happen. Um, it's, you know, as you know, yeah. I know you've had shows on this. It's yeah. rough out there. It is. You know? It is. And it's something that, I mean, obviously, even I live here in Durham, North Carolina, and it's still a new conversation here. And, you know, some people call the Research Triangle Park RTP area here kind of like a mini Silicon Valley. There's so many high-end tech companies and a lot of startups here. And, you know, this is a, a you know, quote-unquote progressive area. I mean, there's just, you know. All those kinds of things, and yet this is still a relatively new conversation that is being had. Um, and sometimes I feel like I I am constantly having the conversation, and I feel like everybody knows it. And then I realize, no, it's just my the world that I live in where people are having the conversation. But the more and more I do what I can to get outside of my world and have the conversation with 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 new people. I'm realizing more and more that the conversation is new to people. And so 
just educating people bit by bit because it can get so overwhelming so fast and people can feel as though they, you know, the problem is too big to tackle and that they can't possibly have an impact and they can't possibly begin to change their habits. And so it's just a matter of educating people of, you know, it does not, you know, progress, not perfection. We do not need to figure out how to change this overnight because everybody's just going to get overwhelmed and give up. And so how do we just bit by bit make little changes in our buying habits, little changes in the way that we consume, little changes in the way that we um, dispose of things, you know, just from, you know, making sure that we're recycling more. And, you know, instead of throwing out that old t-shirt that has a bunch of holes in it, can you repurpose it or can you repair it or can you recycle it? You know, just little things like that. And yes, it does take a little bit of effort. And um, But the more that we have those conversations and the more that we give people resources and opportunities and show people how they can make little by little changes, it really will add up over time. And you'll see people begin to, to, to change and change the, change their communities and change the environment and change the world, you know? Well, that's, that's true. And, um, I don't know if you've known that much about the Ellen MacArthur foundation and it's, it's a campaign to stop the global fashion industry from consuming a quarter of the world's annual carbon by 2050. And I am so all about this. And I think that, you know, it's a long way away, but if we can all, like we could all set goals for that, you know, and we could all do, you know, do a small part and it's just is as consumers we can, but you know, from in the industry as well, I think larger companies can combat waste as well and they can use materials more effectively. They can create longer lasting clothes. They can encourage people to reuse uh, their garments. Um, so they're, they, they can do things too. So it's not just the end consumer. And I feel like that's going to start happening. I really do. Mm. Yes. Amen to that. Um, well, Mary Sue, uh, before we transition to the get to know you portion of the show, um, where can people find you and learn more about the Mendy Shoe and this project and all of that? Well, you can go to Ashbury Skies and um, look for the Bendy there. Um, you can Google uh, the Bendy shoe and you can find our campaign as well. Awesome. And I will have those links and the information in the show notes for everybody as well. Um, so now this is the portion of the show where we transition to more of a get to know you and just ask you some fun questions. And as my listeners know, this is also my husband's the portion of the show where my husband, who is my executive producer, inserts his sound effect of his choosing to transition us to the get to know you (laughs) portion. So Mary Sue, are you ready? Yes, I am. I'm against all its me's. So self-absorbed and egotistical. Like those hip musicians with their complicated shoes. If you could steal credit for any great piece of art, song, film, book, etc., which one would you claim credit for? Oh, geez. I think it would have to be Imagine by John Lennon. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I that like is it. That's pretty much a piece of uh, pure beauty. And if I could possibly have the mind in the imagination to create something like that, that would be pretty awesome. That's awesome. Uh, So, well, speaking of music, if we were to hook up your recently played playlist to this podcast, what might we hear? 
You know what? I was recently playing with my um, some nieces and nephews, and you would find the hot dog song, the uh, hot dog dance song from from Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yes, you yes. would absolutely hear that on mine as well. <laughs> I yeah, that song is literally playing in my head as we speak because it is hot dog hot dog I love it when, the, when the kids dance to that oh my goodness yeah my kids are also obsessed so mickey mouse obsessed um okay and then uh what is one product you can't live without like it's just it's it's your thing you know what it's pete's coffee Ooh. okay I, pete's coffee and, i'm not familiar yeah i mean i know there's a lot of new types of coffee and uh here in san francisco on the west coast that people are really into their coffee but I mean I'm like I try it all and I go back to like the major Dickens Pete's major Dickinson's it's a part of my life I'm very happy about that that is awesome um, and then my last question and this is a question I love to ask my guests and is what are you most grateful for today you know um, I am most grateful for an incredible uh, support of friends and professionals that I've worked with over the last 30 years that have supported my journey to create the Bendy. Um, you know, women and men have bent over backwards to help me get this off the ground, and the support has been absolutely overwhelming. Um, I guess if I had any advice for, you know, younger men and women in the business, I'd say that, you know, take the time over the years to develop the relationships. Uh, have that cup of coffee, have that dinner with the people that are important to you in your career. Um, Because honestly, these are the people who have shepherded me in this journey for the Bendy. Um, And then I always have to say, I'm really grateful for my son and my husband who have tolerated my intensity through this project. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, They know know what it means to me. So they've been there for me. I'm, I'm very fortunate in that's, many ways. That's, that's incredible. Thank you so much, Mary Sue. This was such a fun conversation. Um, and I loved hearing all about your passion for this. And can't wait to see it continue to grow. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Molly. I loved hearing all about Mary Sue's background in manufacturing and how that has influenced her approach to her own business. All of the details on the Bendy Shoe and Ashbury Skies will be in the show notes as usual. Another huge thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, Causebox. Visit stillbeingmolly.com slash Causebox and use that coupon code MOLLY for $15 off. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring so many incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. Seriously, there are so many good episodes in the archives. Make sure you go check it out. And if you are a regular listener of the show, thank you for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you are subscribed. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure that you never miss a new episode of the podcast. And if you would do me a huge, huge, huge favor, would you head on over to iTunes and leave us a review? Leaving a review of the show just lets me know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. And if you share the show on social media, which when you do, it means so much to me, be sure to use the hashtag Business With Purpose Podcast or tag me at StillBeingMolly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.